Hello, boys and ghouls. In this episode, we take a look at the films and frights of those 366 days, which made up the year 1984. So join us as we celebrate a few of those macabre milestones, all of which, just like co-hostess Cat, are turning 30 this year. Be forewarned. We had some technical difficulty that affected the quality of our recording. But that did not stop us from turning out a first-rate retrospective on the year when ghosts were busted, Elm Street had a nightmare, and ghouls just want to have fun. Oh my goodness, the 80s. The 80s, right? Hey everybody, I'm Marshall Hicks. And I'm Kat Kanai. And this is Boys and Ghouls. And in this episode, we're taking a, a long look at the year of 1984. It feels special for some reason. Well, Kat, I believe that is the year of your birth. <gasps> Me? And I thought it'd be great to see uh, what was going on. Not just what was the price of gas and what was uh, a number one hit, but probably something by Michael Jackson. <laughs> but what was going on with horror movies and uh, maybe some sci-fi and what was going on with all things spooky while you were just seeing the world for the first time and I was seven or eight. You were much more sentient than I was in 1984. Sure, I knew uh, what was what. Yeah. And even though I was quite young, pop culture was coming to me from a TV. We had cable, we had HBO, I had MTV. And, Pop culture uh, was everywhere in the 80s, so no wonder it came through to you. I mean, sure was. a couple weeks ago, I posted on Facebook, quick, tell me everything important about the 80s, go! And just to see who would respond, what they would say, and 41 comments on 80s. this one question that I posed... And almost everything was about pop culture. It was things like big hair, drugs, sex, rock and roll. A lot of references to movies, tons of references to movies, sure. several of which we'll talk about today. Sexual ambiguity, you know, kind of gender bending, sure. which is fun. I mean, I think two people mentioned Ronald Reagan out of the 41 comments. And my stepdad was like, you were born. Nice. I was like, oh, isn't that sweet? Your sister, hi Jen, said, uh, hello, Cabbage Patch Kids. Right. Duh, important. I mean, there was yeah. just so much, but almost everything, almost everything was pop culture. And I think that just speaks to how influential media and pop culture and films, especially films in the 80s were. Just for perspective, you might say, well, yeah, but every year, every decade is full of pop culture. Of course. And now more than ever. Having said that, yeah, but I like to use this as a barometer. The Wedding Singer uh, <laughs> took place in 85. Yeah. Came out in 97. That's 12 years. In that 12-year gap, it's like, remember the 80s with the weird hair and the weird music? That is so weird that that movie was only 12 years after. Okay. Wow. It's presently 2014. It's been 17 years since The Wedding Singer. 
came out. Oh my god. There's been more time between the wedding singer and now than between eighty five and the wedding singer, but it doesn't really feel like that crazy different of the world. No. I mean the internet and nine eleven and yeah. But it's not like remember ninety seven with its weird hair right. and its weird music. Right. Yeah, the Spice Girls, but No, I wait, I think what you're saying is the eighties were it was like technicolor pop culture. Like everything was bigger more excessive more there were there was more merchandising there was it was just more 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 i don't know we're living in a material world and i am a material girl or boy it was an age of yuppies and in movies which i keep encountering yuppies as i've been watching movies from 1984 for the last two weeks (laughs) you can rarely bring up a yuppie in any serious way without them then reflecting back on the 60s uh-huh. Or their time in college. Sure. The 80s did not exist in a bubble. Right. There was a lot of reflection back to what came before. Sure. I'm um, thinking of the big chill. There's the big chill yeah. and Return of the Secaucus 7 were two of the biggest among them. But anytime you had the 80s excess, there was often just a little look back to what had come before. Right. Feeling the need to contextualize what's happening to us. And as like, what happened to our ideals? You got a bigger TV. You're okay. <laughs> Oh, but 84. It was, I don't want to just say, I mean, it's not a year that we chose randomly, but going into it, we didn't give a lot of thought to just what happened that year. We just knew that if we looked into it, we'd find something because, one, every year has its own advances sure. in, in horror films and all things spooky. Every year has a Halloween, mm-hmm. right? And I'm sure any year in the 80s that you pick would have some real perks to it, and 84 is no exception. And 84 is a nice round number of 30 years ago. Yes, which is years also important. Ago. Yeah. <laughs> Which means that I will be turning 30 this year. Cat's turning 30? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Everything we're going to mention in this podcast is turning 30. That's right. Also, the year itself was a leap year. Oh. It was an election year. Yes. Ronald Reagan was getting reelected. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and so we were right there, right in the middle of it all. If you say like the Reagan era, right in the Smack middle. Smack dab. And America, more specific, Los Angeles, was hosting the Summer Olympics. Ooh! And what I remember from that was the McDonald's scratch-offs. If the U.S. wins, then I win. When the U.S. wins a medal in the event on your game card, you win a Big Mac, or regular fries, or regular Coca-Cola. So go to McDonald's and collect your game cards, because when the U.S. wins, you win. Let's go, USA! Let's go! Must have given out a lot of, well... Oh, yeah. Yeah. And here's why. Russia boycotted that Olympics, and with that, several red block countries as well. So our chief competition wasn't there. I heard there were McDonald's's that were running out of buns. Oh, no. I don't know if that was just an urban <laughs> legend. It certainly grabbed my imagination at that age. I was like, what? A McDonald's running out of buns? That's like a farm running out of cows. Like, right. How does that happen? It's so essential. It's like libraries out of books. Yeah. Like, oh, by the way, I only heard of this boycott recently. When I was eight, no one was saying, like, oh, Russia's not there. We were just like, USA! Of course. We took home another one. Yeah. Wolverines! I figure it's smart to just give ourselves a little bit of context. I found it a little bit difficult to stick to 
1984, because when I'm thinking broadly about horror in the 80s, because that's what we're talking about, I just think about the 80s. But I do think it is important to know what came out in the three, four years right before that. This movie is called Blood-Sucking Monkeys from West Mifflin, Pennsylvania. Here are just a couple of other films that had already happened before 84. Let's just... We already had Friday the 13th, The Fog, Prom Night, The Shining. Those were all 1980. In 81, we had An American Werewolf in London, Evil Dead, Halloween 2, Friday the 13th, Part 2. So we're seeing the emergence of franchises, My Bloody Valentine. In 82... We had Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, Amityville 2, The Possession, Friday the 13th, Part 3, Poltergeist, The Thing, Slumber Party Massacre. 1983, we had Jaws 3D, Sleepaway Camp, Psycho 2, The Hunger, Cujo. So all these things were already there before 84. It's like the every other decade theory, you know? The 50s were boring, the 60s rocked. In the 70s, oh my god, they obviously suck, right? <laughs> Come on. Maybe the 80s will be radical. If we're just talking about a couple of main events in the 80s, 1980, John Lennon was assassinated. CNN was established. 1981, there was an assassination attempt on the Pope, sure. an assassination attempt on Reagan. First woman was appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court. The AIDS crisis was given a name. You know, they named it AIDS. In 81, also, millions watched the royal wedding, Diana and Charles, on TV. I think that's important. And then in 1984, the MPAA readjusted the rating system and the PG-13 rating was introduced. That must have been late 84. Because mm-hmm. Gremlins came out in June. Mm-hmm. It and, was. And Temple of Doom came it, out in, like, March. It did. It was so in it, direct reaction to Temple of Doom, Poltergeist, Clash of the Titans, and Gremlins. Yeah. Those four films, due to the content and complaints from the public about the content, is why the PG-13 rating was And then when Red created. Dawn came out, that was 84 or 85, Red Dawn was the first movie to get a... Um, if you look in that laundry basket behind you, uh-huh. you will find a VHS copy of Red Dawn. Crazy. Yeah. Um, did you know that Steven Spielberg is the one who suggested the PG-13 rating? He's, so, obviously, he was so sense. involved with the films that, that he had made. Gremlin cereal! Yeah. Do you have gremlin cereal mm-hmm. like that? Let me see that. Is that yeah. good? Gremlin. Oh, delicious. From, from the hit movie, yeah. Gremlins. Yeah, look right in the back here. It says, star of the new movie presented by Steven Spielberg. Gets his name even on the gremlin cereal box. Just to give us some context. Those things were happening. There was a lot of darkness in the world, as there always is, but that was the climate leading But a lot of bright neon. (laughs) Day glow colors. As you watch uh, movies set in the 80s, they tend to mostly be all of the 80s at once. I'm sort of getting that lately with like Hot Tub Time Machine or uh, Take Me Home Tonight. They might give it a year, but you notice it like, uh, I don't really remember breakdancing and Alf being really at the same time. Yeah. One kind of faded and the and the other came in, but for these movies, it's all at once. That's what I was thinking about when I was mentioning how hard it was for me to go like, okay, no, I'm looking at 84. I'm not looking at the 80s. Yeah. Because a lot happened after 84. We're talking about 84. So. It's difficult because it all kind of runs together in our heads. So to separate, what was going on in 84? It's only a movie. It's not funny. I'm a scare, weren't you? Going into 84 and the end of 83, Thriller came out. It did. And along with uh, Thriller, the Bark at the Moon video. The one that scared you so? Scared me so much. And I was looking at just old Fangoria covers online to see what was happening. And 
One of them was the Bark at the Moon. There was a Fangoria cover dedicated to... To Ozzy Osbourne's werewolf makeup <laughs> and Bark at the Moon. The and 80s were big for werewolves. Well, for sure. I, I'd like to say this. I didn't go back and really research Thriller. Uh, something that I would like to finally, with myself, come to terms with is he was a werecat. Huh? He really wasn't a werewolf. He was more feline. Oh, the eyes. Those are cat the eyes. eyes. The ears are just kind of going up in a, a way that, yes, it looks kind of like a wolf. And the whiskers... Wolves have whiskers, but really at the end of the day, his personal stamp on the genre was to be more feline Cats, than anything. I think if personified, would be better dancers. He'd already had the tiger in the Billie Jean video. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Just saying. There's a tiger on the cover of the Thriller album, too. Okay. Right? He's, he's laying with Meow. I never thought about a werecat. It's time for me to stop kidding myself. It's a werecat. Why do you say that as though you're disappointed? I like werewolves. Mm. I like the Wolfman. I like American Werewolf in London. Sure. I'd like for Thriller to fit nicely within that Pantheon, but uh, he's a werecat. You've just blown my mind. I still accept him. I'm glad you do, because this is an age of tolerance we're in. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. So, in general, in the 80s in film, but especially horror film, we saw, and this is true of the films we'll talk about, uh, many of them, in 1984, we saw more blockbusters, big summer blockbusters. We saw more... Mm. More nudity. We saw the rise of franchises. We saw more gore. A lot of body horror. There's no question about it. Some terror films go too far. Kat, we were going to um, try to go through this chronologically. Yeah. So we're up to January 1984. Thriller is being played in heavy rotation on MTV. Yes, it is. Scaring the pants off of kids that can't stay up late to watch actual horror movies. Mm -hmm. Myself included. If I'd been quite sentient, I would have been terrified as well. But I was in January of 1984, probably conceived. Because <laughs> I was born in late October, so. Well, I'll yeah. have to take the helm on uh, what it was like to actually walk around and breathe during this time. <laughs> but, Please uh, take us away, Marshall. <laughs> but you've got you've got the video records. Mm -hmm. We have the historic records <laughs> of 1984 placed in the VHS video cassette. came out in March, uh, based on the Stephen King novel. If Which I can, I uh, read it's more just uh, sort of maps out the premise. And in it, the couple, the, the young couple, which Stephen King likes to write about, like young couples on road trips. Mm -hmm. And they love each other, but they're starting to snipe. You ever notice that? Kind of, oh, sure. They, they're always reaching that part of the trip where they're just kind of getting on each other's nerves. And then they go into some kind of horrible situation. Right. Which in the book was... Just like the movie, but much further down the road. In the movie, three years ago, all the children rose up in religious fervor and killed, killed off all, all the adults. adults uh -huh. And have been living in this uh, Nebraska town. Uh-huh. Just, what do you, how do they spend their days? I don't even know. Reading Bible verses. R reading uh, Bible verses. Being preached at by Malachi or, and or tending, Isaac. Tending yeah. the corn. That's very important. Oh, sure. And whenever one of them turns 18, they carve a pentagram into their chest, do a ritual, walk into the corn. 
and offer themselves up to he who walks behind the rose. And then this, you know, couple comes into town and they're like, what's going on? In the short story, it had been going on for like 30 years. And like they've been having like the older teens are having kids and now their kids are running around. But the, the point is when they get there, it's like all the prices are weird. You know, it says like gas, like 15 cents a gallon. And it's like, have you seen gas this cheap? Since when? Look at it in the marketplace there. It says three cent pot roast or what have you. Yeah. So it had been going on for way longer. They were already a society by then. Got it. Whereas in this movie, they're on about year three. The kids have some long shaggy hair. Everything's got dust on it. And man, you can really creepy things up just by putting corn on it. Yes. You you go into like a public works building and just throw around some corn. And it's like, oh, what happened in here? Yeah. There's corn on desks and that doesn't belong. (laughs) I may have seen the film as a youth. I don't recall. It was kind of perfect to be shown on like Saturday afternoons. Yeah. Because there's very little you would have to edit out. Mm -hmm. It was really more creepy than scary. Almost no gore. If you don't count the like carving a pentagram in the guy's right, chest. Right. I was way into the ambiance of it. The music, it was it was funny because they, they were playing on the kind of religious fervor, horror, or just religion in general that like there the were omen music. Yeah, there were precedents set already. We had, you know, the exorcist and the omen and, and these things that kind of were the demon terror. But with kids. But with kids. I mean it wasn't really demon terror, it was more religion terror. I guess what okay. The music is what I was going to say. The music, it's trying to be the Omen music, but there was too much 80s behind it. There was too much like yeah. weird synth. That took me out of it. Oh, the, almost everything I watched, by the yes. way, had synth yes, scores. Yes, absolutely. Of course, it was the 80s. But for me, I felt like it was kind of untapped. It kind of, I didn't feel like the film was saying anything beyond literally the story that was happening. I didn't feel like sure. there was some kind of like, here are the dangers of religion. I mean, you get that. It's pretty you on the nose. soapboxing. Yeah. But for me, it, there weren't really any broader themes. And I think there's an inherent problem with having the children carry so much of the acting weight mm. of a film, unless it's like one kid and that kid is Dakota Fanning or something. But like, there were so many kids. And I can see how that would work really well in a book but not in the film, and that is the curse of many, if not most, Stephen King stories. Is it, It's amazing in book form, but then when you try to make it translate to the screen, it becomes a little weird. Yeah. I will say the kid who played Isaac, like the main leader, was pretty good and like oh, yeah. creepy. He's got that weird voice that's like... He was, uh, he was like 20-something when he did that. Yeah, he, he was did, a little older. A little Question not my judgment, Malachi. I am the giver of his word. But then you've also got Malachi, who's kind of his his second hand man, who's been in a lot of stuff. He still works, but he was really good in the eighties. He had that great yeah. look. I believe I think he has like one line in Back to the Future. Scram McFly, cutting in. Here's something about I noticed about him, and I think he's great. But uh, yeah. this is this just speaks to the watching movies in the 80s for me there are a lot of films that when i go back and watch them and they're movies that i saw in childhood as a kid you just accept whatever it is you're seeing that's why for good reason people mm-hmm. are concerned about if there's violent content or whatever because kids are just sponges courtney Gaines has this like super california accent 
kind of. It's pretty, you know. I never really caught, caught oh, on to that. Well, and I wouldn't have had I seen it as a kid, but watching it, I was like, that is not a Nebraska. That There's no Midwest. There's no Central. There's no Middle America. This is a California accent. And that was distracting as an adult. Hmm. But that's something, had I seen it as a child, it would have. I would never have noticed it. Yeah. And I'm not sure everyone necessarily would now, but I notice it more now that I live in California and know what that native California accent is, you know? Like, Isaac, but what about them? They were playing games? They were they were playing music? They, they were they should be punished. You know, and I'm like, holy crap, this guy is a Californian. Yeah, I know that, dude. Not to diminish his his performance, because actually he's, awesome. he's great, and the guy who plays Isaac is great. All the other kids, I mean, for crying out loud. I love the idea of Children of the Corn. I think it's all very spooky. I just didn't think the execution was... It wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, but it just wasn't great. Now, just to try to ascribe the movie with a, a little more depth to it, I, I wrote down um, that since the, like the baby boomers defined youth... They really defined youth from when they were kids to, to running like what was on TV. Mm-hmm. The serials were made for them. The howdy doody time was made for them. Then they got a little older and the 60s were all about their youth. Yeah. And now the 80s, they're having kids. Mm-hmm. And they're not calling the shots quite as much as they used to. I carried an M16 and yo, you carry that, that, that guitar. What do you want to do with your life? I want to rock. Was Children of the Corn really a reflection of that? No. <laughs> I doubt anybody sat down at their typewriter thinking that. Right. But does it reflect it? A little. Oh, underneath that I wrote, Children of the Corn equals Generation X. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. Kind of. I like it. Craven made a, a movie in uh, 1984 that came out on TV. I'm referring to Invitation to Hell. I'm going to have to add this to the list of older Wes Craven films that I just haven't visited, like Deadly Blessing. There are several that I've, not that I've heard they're good necessarily, but I yeah. just feel like watching because they're part of his canon. But I haven't, go on, please. Oh, well, I found this movie. I was watching Children of the Corn, the little girl in it. I said, what else has she done? And then it says, Invitation to Hell, 1984, directed by Wes Craven, starring Robert Urich. Oh. Oh, no. What is it? Space Sharpie. And Susan Lucci. Susan Lucci. And I can watch it in its entirety, and so can you, Kat, on YouTube. Oh, boy. I'm sorry. I can't finish this podcast. I have to go home right now. Just kidding. It's about a family. It's basically like the Stepford Wives, kind of, but like for a whole community. It centers around the club. It's like a country club where everybody who's anybody in what I'm guessing is like Silicon Valley belongs to. But the club, everyone starts getting a little weird after they join the club. And this kid who's joined the club, he's like weirdly aggressive. And you see a family, including the little girl from Children of the Corn, they're joining the club. And Susan Lucci, who's like the spokesperson, who in the very beginning we see her get hit by a limo and then just pop back up, point at the limo driver, and then he like bursts into steam. Oh boy. So we know something's up with her. 
So she gives this whole speech like, are you ready to forsake everything for the club? You are now accepted into the inner circle. And by this symbolic entrance into our ancient spring, do forever forsake the mundane and merge yourselves into the protective, exclusive shield of the club. And she goes, walk into our hot springs. And this like metal door opens up and people walk into the white steam and then they're changed ever after. <gasps> And Robert Yurick catches on because his family joins the club without him. Oh. And by the way, just bring this into the 80s. It's all about like corporate climbing. Of course it is. And there is that bit of a look back when they're like, ah, oh, remember when we were in college? Yeah. And now we're making all this money for the first time and you know, we're living the good life. But is it really the good life? Uh-huh. Not if your country club has a gateway to hell in it, uh, which it is where he then realizes that his daughter, played by uh, Soyel Moon Fry, Punky Brewster. Oh, yeah. Tell me where my daughter is. But I am your daughter. No, you're not. This is a very 80s movie. The son was Barrett Oliver of NeverEnding Story. And um, he made another movie in 1984, Frankenweenie. Aw. Which then got shelved for 10 years. Yeah. So, as far as things making it to where people Frank can and Winnie, watch it. which you can also watch in its entirety on YouTube. Have a Barrett Oliver day. <laughs> as you see uh, that he is trapped in hell. And his father has to go and, like, get him. Fortunately, the project he's been working on is, like, a spacesuit that can withstand high temperatures. That also wow. shoots lasers. Well, that's convenient. So, he suits up and heads into hell to get his oh, family. Oh, my goodness. So that, again, is Invitation to Hell. I cannot wait it's, to it's gorge a, myself on this film. It takes a while getting there, but the uh, the hell scenes, especially for a network TV movie of the week, is uh, fun to watch. And a nice bit of a uh, little Wes Craven for you. Yeah. In case you need a little Wes Craven in your diet. Right. I always do. down the street and you see a little ghost what you gonna do about ghostbusters what 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 is that that's the ghostbusters theme song no i'm pretty sure it is at the time that we chose this uh this topic of 1984 you know we, we took we took the broad view and it you know just a quick google search goes oh gremlins terminator Ghostbusters. All right, there's a lot there to talk about. Mm-hmm. And then since then, we lost a Ghostbuster. I collect spores, molds, and fungus. Harold Ramis. A day or two before Harold Ramis died. And I'm not saying I'm clairvoyant, I'm just saying it's spooky. But I had a nightmare to the point of like, I was like screaming in my dream, which comes out as like, you know, when you're dreaming and you. Mm. Anyway, Alec tells me I was making weird noises because I, I was really traumatized. In the dream, I got up to go to the bathroom, like in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. So it was very real to me, because it was as though I were just getting up to go pee. And in the dream, I go sit on the toilet, and it's really hot. Like the toilet seat, I know this is ridiculous, just stick with me, is really, really hot. So like, ow! Like I stand up, and I turn around, and I look at the toilet, and the toilet says to me, (laughs) the toilet says to me, there is no toilet, only Zool. (laughs) Oh, Zuli, you nut. This was not funny to me in the dream. It was sure. terrifying. And, and, like, I don't mean this to make light of anything, but I'm just saying the next day Harold Ramis died. You had a Ghostbusters dream. I did. I'm usually very psychic. And then... Less than 24 hours later, you got the news. Yeah. Not that 
I, whatever. It was a really scary dream. It wasn't funny at all. I just need yeah. to reiterate that. Ghostbusters had some very scary parts. Yeah. And would not have worked if the ingenue of the film, Zagorny Weaver, didn't really sell it when Zool showed up in her refrigerator. Either I have a monster in my kitchen or I'm completely crazy. They had to scare you right off with that librarian ghost. <gasps> and it is. It's and, so and, scary. It still yeah. holds up. I had the Scholastic Reader where it was not a novelization exactly, though it was because it was more pictures than words. Yeah. But they dedicated like a two-page spread to that ghost. And I would, when I was reading it, I would skip those pages <gasps> because no that wonder. was a scary ghost. Yeah. I know. Do exactly as I say. Get ready. Ready? Get her! In the 80s, special effects were finally catching up to imagination in so yeah. many ways. And there's there are moments in Ghostbusters that are, you know, it yeah. doesn't look super great. But I still love it. And at the time, it was really, really impressive. Yeah. And I think just that... Just because they were making jokes, they didn't go in with subpar special effects. Right. They did whatever could be done at that time and then pushed it a little further. I was reading Roger Ebert said of Ghostbusters how impressive it was because usually giant, like, big special effects, big budget stuff tends to kill a comedy. Sure. And it doesn't at all. What I remember more than anything about Ghostbusters is, like, Bill Murray. is funny, funny, funny. Are you, Alice, menstruating right now? What has that got to do with it? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. This wicked... There was a, one, a critic from, like, Newsweek who said... It was a tone of relaxed insanity. Hmm. And I think that's a really perfect phrase for Ghostbusters. You know, it's just occurred to me we really haven't had a completely successful test of this equipment. I blame myself. So do I. Well, no sense worrying about it now. Why worry? Each of us is wearing an unlicensed nuclear accelerator on his back. Yeah. Everyone sells and deadpans so much that it makes all the other crazy stuff that's going on okay. It just kind of balances it. Do Egon. You can get on the DVD a commentary, which has the director, Ivan Reitman, a producer and writer star, Harold Ramis. And in it, they say that the Ray Stans character, the Dan Aykroyd character, uh -huh. he was the heart of the Ghostbusters. Yeah. That Bill Murray was the mouth. Clearly. And that Harold Ramis' character, Egon Spengler, was the brain. Yep. And if you needed to uh, believe what was happening with like a scientific explanation. Let's say this Twinkie represents the normal amount of psychokinetic energy in the New York area. According to this morning sample, it would be a Twinkie 35 feet long, weighing approximately 600 pounds. And you're like, well, we're in for it. Mm -hmm. Twinkie's that big. <laughs> so his contributions as a writer were to help ground the film. It started as a very ambitious script set in the future where there are franchises of Ghostbusters. They're the Ghostbusters. I'm Spencer. He's Tracy. I'm Kong. We're the Ghostbusters. We're clever, courageous, and strong. And the whole project got reimagined as sort of a starting a business uh, movie in which uh, rather than starting as Ghostbusters, sort of weary of their jobs, they start instead as college, what are they, professors? 
They say um, researchers, they're not set in the future. It's present day and going around actual New York. And Ivan Reitman and Harold Ramis got together for a three-week writing sesh. Marth with, on Martha's Vineyard or Martha's something. Martha's Vineyard yeah. with Dan Aykroyd. Grounded the film. And, I uh, wish I could have been those, a fly on that wall. Yeah. Took those spectacular Ghostbusters and put them a lot closer to our world. To where you could really just walk down the street and see a Ghostbuster busting ghosts. I did a little bit of research on Harold Ramis. Just a couple of the things I found about him that I'd never known. Uh, shortly after college, for seven months, do you know he worked in a, men- a mental institution? I did not. In St. Louis. And he's been quoted as saying that he felt it prepared him for working with actors. Nice. He says, people laugh when I say that, but it's really not just about actors. That's just the profession I happen to go into. He said, but I feel like if I were a businessman, I'd be saying the same thing, just as far as it helping me deal with people in the world. He said, it helped me in knowing how to deal with people who might be reacting in a way that's connected to anxiety or grief or fear or rage. I just thought that was nice as a writer, actor, director to say, yeah, that's where he was pulling from. Um, the other thing I learned is that he's a dra- he was a draft dodger. He took drugs to fail. Like, like to like raise his blood pressure or something? Uh, he took, it said methamphetamine. Now there's a couple of questions that I have to ask you. They're a little personal. Uh, are either of you uh, homosexuals? You mean like flaming or? Well, it's a, it's a standard question we have to ask. No, we're not homosexual, but we are willing to learn. Do you know he was also an associate editor at Playboy? I did not. He started as a jokes editor, which was their kind of like lowest level, entry level position. Playboy, the magazine that gives you a monthly ticket to the best of the good life. He had written some pieces for various reasons and decided to cold call Playboy and said, hey, I got some stuff... Maybe you'd be interested in reading it. Can I send it? They liked his stuff. They offered him a job as a jokes editor, and he worked his way up to associate editor for Playboy. Really? I thought you'd like that. Which was based out of Chicago. Uh-huh. Their main offices are still there. But basically, he and whomever else was doing that would take reader submissions and punch up the jokes, like make the jokes better so that they were acceptable for printing. Playboy, it brings you the best of everything. He did say in the commentary that the first Ghostbusters hero shot, which is when uh, the three of them walk into the hotel mm-hmm. all suited up for the first time. Yeah. He said that when it's cropped for television, he was always cut out of it. <gasps> well, you know what, Harold Ramis? We're done with that aspect ratio. <laughs> so uh, you will now forever be in Not the hero cut shot. Out. Yeah. Did you know that each year more than 20,000 people die? Well, this year you may have passed away without even being aware of it. Here are seven simple warning signs that may spell the difference between life and death for you. One, prolonged absence of physical activity. Two, loss of appetite. Three, loss of sight and hearing. Four, increasing stiffness of joints and muscles. Five, relaxed attitudes toward personal hygiene. Six, inability to remember the previous five warning signs. And seven, the unexplained presence of coins on your eyelids. If you answered yes to any or all of these warning signs, you may already be dead. Don't be the last to know. Write today for this free booklet, So You're Dead, Now What? Box 1977, Gettysburg, Virginia. Do it today. It's a matter of life and death. 
can confidently seek a secure and lasting peace as well as a reduction in arms. You know, I'm going to pay you a compliment also, right, Captain Lou Albano. You're one of a kind. Well... Non-stop thrills in Commander USA's Groovy Movies! Today's Groovy Movie, Shud! And now... Movie that I have been, like, looking at the video cover for since I was a kid, <laughs> but never actually bringing myself to watch until this project. Uh-huh. Chud. Cannibalistic, humanoid, underground dweller. Once they were harmless subterranean derelicts until the government flushed its nuclear waste. Now they're mutants hungry for an entree of man. I kept hearing about Chud just it's part of the vernacular like i always heard about it i saw the cover in the stores and then it's i happened a... to see that it was on netflix this was before you'd ever suggested this topic to me okay so this was yeah, like on your own you were two watching... months ago or something and i, I just watched it you just watched chud yeah just for funsies yeah okay. it was fun chud takes place in new york city of the 1980s therefore a very dirty new york <laughs> which was and i was i was going through some websites before you came over tying in all of the homelessness with mm -hmm. the 80s and yeah there was a homelessness explosion particularly in new york city that is attributed to the closure of mental hospitals mm -hmm. which most people just draw a straight arrow back to reagan Mm -hmm. The internet has let me know it's a little more complicated than that. But, As things mostly are. But let's say um, it happened on his watch. Thank you, Ronald Reagan. Your legacy is intact. So people who were and should have been in, in asylums getting a little close attention were instead just homeless people or bag women were underground homeless people uh, perhaps some of them sure I, I don't know how real that part was well that D part did homeless people really go down in oh the sewers? there's an entire documentary about it called dark days okay and it's really just so gritty but it follows a group of people living in an abandoned section of the new york city underground railway system Chud actually filmed a lot under the uh, the Brooklyn Bridge, mm -hmm. so it, it looked pretty bad, but it wasn't anything that was actually, actually right. underground right. in the darkness. And as much homelessness was in this movie, and it was right in the middle of it all when the mental institutions were being closed, giving way, though, to um, plenty of uh, future uh, spook houses. Closed down asylums seemed to be uh, plentiful for people to hold Halloween uh, spook houses in. Yes. The doors will open straight through Halloween night, October 31st. Ghosts and goblins will be ready to haunt you on weeknights from 6 to 9 p.m. and weekends from 1 to 9 p.m. So there's a silver lining. What's not so great is when some of these homeless people get around toxic waste and then get transformed into cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers, <laughs> or chuds, coming up and taking human victims. Chud stars John Hurd who I really love a lot. I know him mostly from Beaches uh, because I watched that movie a lot as a kid and as an adult. But I liked seeing him do horror. But then also I recently watched Would You Rather? Mm. And he's in that not for not for a huge amount of time. It's kind of like a little ensemble horror drama. And he's a very important part of that and does a really good job. And I like to see that... You know, like, Chud was kind of the beginning of... And I'm like, oh, all right, you're returning to your horror roots. I see what you're doing there, John Hurd. Good job. The dark is their place. The night is their time. And tomorrow 
the only things living in the city of New York will be chucked. Okay, so there's an escalating investigation and then battle with the chuds. One really good scene was later done better, but not first, by aliens, where there's people like looking for the monsters, but they've got the camera, and then there's people back in like HQ watching on the cameras, and mm -hmm. then, what do you see? Hold on, let me go check. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Super um, spooky. Super spooky, very effective. Hold it! There's something moving up ahead at the top! The ending, though. I'm just gonna go to the Remind ending. Remind me? Well, they're like battling with the chuds, but then there's this like bureaucrat, like the real bad guy of this is this like old white man bureaucrat who's like, no, we gotta keep a lid on this. We can't let the people know. And he's like covering up because of all the toxic waste that they've been storing under the city. Melvin became the toxic Avenger. The first superhero born out of nuclear waste. In the 80s, toxic waste could do, you know, whatever you want. It could turn you into chuds. It could turn you into ninja turtles. It's it could, toxic waste. It's toxic waste. This is the same year that a Toxic Avenger oh, yeah. came out. Toxic waste was kind of all the rage. So much so that as many homeless were depicted in this movie, anytime they start, like, soapboxing or trying to, like, pull a moral out of all this, it's never about the homeless. It's always about toxic waste. Mm -hmm. And the movie ends not with the killing of the last chud. There's never really even a clear number just how many there are and how many they've killed any one time. But it ends with the bureaucrat blowing up in a van. Oh, right. And by the fire of this van, Daniel Stern and the crusty police chief have a, like a nice exchange. Last shot. Because they, they used to be enemies, now they're friends. Right. And then the model and her photographer boyfriend they embrace and the music gets all soft and it's like hey the bureaucrat the red tape pencil pushing corporate climbing bureaucrat is dead right the end and if you pause for a moment you're gonna say what about the chuds well if they killed all the chuds how would there be a chud too uh yeah but the chud i didn't watch it i didn't either but you know but point taken yeah <laughs> Hardcastle's out to save McCormick when a Halloween party turns deadly. A sniglet is any word that should be in the dictionary, but isn't. For instance, the word scratches. When you were a little kid, what did you dream about? The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Wes Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street. So, 84... Nightmare on Elm Street. It has the um, task of introducing us to Freddy Krueger and all the things that we take for granted about Freddy Krueger, about the fact that he can come to you in your dreams, that he has a knife glove, that he's covered in burns. Uh, all this stuff has to be laid out because it's the very first time. Yeah. You know, you're watching it, you're like, who's this guy? What's that he, he doing? Uh, another the, aspect is that he yeah. has quippy things that he says. Not as much in the first one. Not like welcome to prime time, bitch level. No, not like but that. But things like, you know, moments like him saying, hey, Tina, and then getting cutting her attention and then fingers. cutting off his fingers. Those kinds of things. Like him speaking. You talk too much. Hey, Nancy. No way. No way. Compared 
to completely silent Jason Voorhees okay. and Michael Myers, this well, is a new kind of villain who's talking to you and, and telling you you're going to die and that this is, a is good God. Point. And Since Halloween, a lot of our killers had been silent or just a point of view. It was a lot of like, who's the killer going to be? Like in The Burning, which came out in, what, 81? In The Burning was almost entirely point of view until like a reveal. Sleepaway Camp. We didn't know who the killer was. Who's the killer? The first Friday 13th, definitely. Mm -hmm. And even once we knew it was Jason, they didn't shy away from that point of view shot. Right. The Halloween films. You know, a very scary Michael Myers, but he never talks. Right. Not a lot of chit-chat out of your killers. Please, God. This is God. I guess we could say effects were getting a little better. Yeah. Like, like, oh, American Wolf in London. Yeah. You barely saw the wolf. The transformation scenes were great, but the wolf was mostly point of view. Right. And I'm not just building a list of point of view movies, but it would be a monster that was only revealed at key moments or a person who you didn't see that much of. Mm -hmm. But now we had a monster person, Yeah. which he's a guy. He's terribly burned. I know we accept that as Freddy Krueger, but at the same time, there are actual burn victims out there. Yeah. Kind of a lot to lay on them. Yeah, that is a little awkward. We kind of grew up with that being like synonymous with like, don't kill me in my dreams. Yeah, I never thought, I mean, I know they're burn scars. I've always known that's what they were, but I never then associated anyone with burn scars as like, oh, you look like Freddy Krueger because he's not just like healed up burn scars. It's viscera and it's like wet and it's bloody. In the special features, I recently checked out they were literally inspired by pizza. They were literally inspired by a melty pizza. I'm hungry for pizza now. Um, how would you say that Nightmare on Elm Street fit into 1984 specifically? Mm. You think it helped define the year more than the year defined it? Because it is kind of universal. Nightmares. There really isn't much in it outside of two things. Johnny Depp's great big headphones that he listens to. <laughs> Johnny Depp's cropped oh, shirt. I love it. And just Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. Who sort of brought the 80s with him. Yeah. Besides that, though, you know what? It really doesn't specifically say that it's 1984. You no. can still smoke in hospitals. Sure. Apparently. There's plenty. Or dream of, clinics. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, yes. The hair, the fashion, there's plenty of stuff that is 80s about that film, but that can't be helped. I mean, every film that was made in the 80s is so quintessentially the style and the whatever. Even it's even period pieces or like future pieces. Yeah. And the 80s was all about the future. Oh, yeah. Um, but in so much as Nightmare on Elm Street isn't, it's not about the future. It's about right now. It's about your dreams. It manages to be timeless, even though you can't escape that 80s fashion. Where's the beat? tethered to the 80s and that it's just kind of a universal fear yeah that it was trying to tap into which gave it success i agree with that totally 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 we have stayed pretty far away from 80s buzzwords actually yeah throughout this whole thing yeah. so let me just say awesome and tubular and i'll say gag me with a spoon Clap on. Clap on. See, if I wasn't doing this, Johnny, I might have been a brain surgeon or a rocket scientist. Could have been something. Call the love line now. Dial 1-900-90. Now, the mystery.
mistress of the dark, the queen of evil, Satan's best girl, the one and only Elvira. Hello, darling. I guess you didn't have anything to do on a Saturday night either. Uh, if you want to watch something quintessentially 80s, you can find the episode of The Fall Guy, where Elvira played herself, sort of. Uh, Colt, thought you'd like to meet our uh, leading lady. Colt Seavers, this is Elvira. Biggest luck. A real pleasure. Oh, no, the pleasure's all mine. <laughs> You'll forgive me. Normally, I meet a man before I barbecue him. Yeah, well, uh, here I am. Well done. <laughs> I'll say. She was Elvira all the time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they sort of imagine that, like, Elvira in her own time doesn't just become Cassandra Peters and take off her wig. Yeah. But rather, they took her character on the show and then just said, like, Oh, this is how she is even off the air, too. And she answers to Elvira, and her hair's really like that, and she's really horny and kind of bitchy. <laughs> and has and to possessing of great cleavage that she's showing off. Yeah, and has to shoot a movie in a haunted house, <laughs> uh, along with the characters from The Fall Guy. Mm -hmm. Look out, Colt Reavers. Elvira is on the prowl. And first premiered October 31st, 1984. Aww. I was a wee babe, only five days old. Five days old. I, I doubt you really caught much of it at the time. No. You could just watch it on YouTube. I will. Yeah. You were wonderful. Oh, thanks. I knew you'd fall for me sooner or later. <laughs> A couple of people in 1984. Mm. Jackie Coogan died. You may know him as the original Uncle Fester. Oh. I've been scanning the Lonely Hearts column. You haven't. You sly old fox. <laughs> <laughs> well, under the circumstances, I, I thought I'd take a bride. Uncle Fester, you just can't take one. You're supposed to find your own. <laughs> It's the sporting way, old boy. <laughs> You'll be fighting the women off with clubs. Clubs? Yes. I think I'd like that. As a child actor, had so much money stolen from him by his parents, there's actually a Jackie Coogan law now. Holy moly. Yeah, that protects kids' money from their greedy parents. Also, Doesn't prevent some of them from still trying, even in 2014. Yeah. Wow. Also, uh, the world lost Ed Gein in 1984. Not a great loss. <laughs> no, but he certainly left his mark on horror movies. Yes, he did. People are still pulling from his story and grossly twisting things to this day, I'm sure. Yeah. There's like a bajillion movies that are like based on a true story. It's like, well. Or just that level of crazy was a game changer as far as what people would believe people are capable of. Good point. And... I never really gave him any thought after his arrest. Hmm. I knew he murdered this person and then that person and then was arrested in 1950, blah. And after that, just kind of out of sight, out of mind. He only murdered one person. One person? BTW. Wasn't two? Nope. Just one. Okay. One person and then went off to jail. And I never thought about his life after that. Mm -hmm. Turns out... Um, I'm not saying he lived to see... 
uh, his influence. I don't know how much access he had. I don't know if they ever uh, showed uh, Texas Chainsaw at the uh, penitentiary. He lived that long? He lived till 1984. So, 1984. Wow. Yeah. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The one thing I always remember whenever anyone says his name is that when he was arrested and taken to the jailhouse, they asked him to start talking. Uh-huh. And he said, bring me an apple pie. And they brought him, I think a whole apple pie, maybe just a slice, but mm-hmm. the story sounds better if it's a whole, and I think it was a whole apple pie. And he sat there and he ate his apple pie. And when he was done, he started telling him everything. everything. But not until he had his apple pie, which he calmly ate. That, to me, is creepier than than skin lampshades that he dug up from graveyards. I don't know why. It's so cold. 1984 was the first year in many years there was no Famous Monsters of Filmland. The magazine had folded in 1983. Oh. Print is dead. We still had uh, Fangoria, and Famous Monsters did return in different forms over the years, but it's golden age. It was wrapped up by 1984. Hmm. So, 1984. 1984. It was held up for many years as an example of the year by which the government would control us. You know, George Orwell's 1984. Yeah. The year by which would be watched and everything would just be sort of dystopian and instead it's remembered for neon colors and big hair big hair and a few uh pretty good movies yeah i'd say and the year of cat's birth and the year of my birth so 1984 plus 30 years that's the world we're living in yep all right cat well we set out a challenge to some of our more regular listeners it's time i'm so excited uh rather than rack our brains for uh Something to come up with for next month. There are lots of topics we could do, and we have. I, mean, I have a list a, a mile pumpkin long. Full right now, but we have a pumpkin full of topics suggested by listeners, which is way more fun than just us coming up with something. And it's high time we did this yeah. now that we actually have some listeners. We threw out the challenge, and we said, uh, "Hey, listeners, contact us and let us know what our twenty-fifth episode." Yeah. Next month's episode. Oh, the, yeah. Uh, Which, by the way. The April episode. The episode you're listening to right now is our 24th and our two-year anniversary, so happy birthday, boys and ghouls, incidentally. Right. But yes, for our 25th, we'll be doing a topic that has been chosen by one of you. I just want to give a shout out, by the way, to all the people who submitted. It wasn't 100 people, but... It was closer um, to... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people. Eight people. But listen, thought enough of us. We started this podcast two years ago, and the only two people that really cared about it were you and me, Marshall. So I think to have 10 people solidly who. But we got suggestions from Aaron Harden, Chris Dorman, Mike Powery, Casey Stutzman, Melissa Pleckham, Scott McFadden, David Maddox, and uh, my friend Laura Robertson. And And, and thanks. To all of you. To all everybody. And also a special thanks to David Maddox for being just so supportive every month. Oh, yeah. That's all. I just want to say that on air because he's so sweet and looks forward to our podcast. Well, whenever we, we put out an episode, he will then put out his own post. He will. He's saying, so hey, sweet. Everybody. I'm so happy anyone cares. So with that said, um, let's. Hold on. Let me, uh, let me fire up the old camera phone here. Okay. Are we ready? We're ready. 
can't see what's happening in here. Okay, so the topic of our next podcast will be totally random. Totally random. (laughs) The Evil Dead series. Evil Dead series. Evil Dead. Uh, And that was submitted by Mike Powery. So we're going to be talking all things Ash, it looks like. Looks like. And I'm really excited about this. You will find uh, all three uh, just slightly um, to your <laughs> to your left. Hey. Right there. Okay. Thanks, Mike. And I'm um, excited to. Oh God! Now I have to watch the remake again, which I loved, but ugh, that's a rough watch. Hooray! Okay, so um, we've got our work cut out for us. Oh, boy. Definitely the Evil Dead movies. And until you said it, I didn't even think about the remake. But there's definitely that. And there's more than one version of Army of Darkness. I've got just one of the versions uh, on my shelves. Whom what was uh, suggesting that? That was Mike, my, my friend Mike Powery. All right. Mm-hmm. Friend and listener. Oh, yeah. And now? Yeah. New listener. New voracious listener. He's been listening a lot lately. Friend of mine. Uh, yeah. Well... Thanks to uh, everybody for participating. Yeah, and that's not to say, by the way, that we won't use some of these other suggestions at some point, because there were some really great submissions, including one of my favorites from Melissa, which was British rural horror. I've been personally watching a lot more foreign horror, and I loved her suggestion, so I will be fighting for that Because I saw that one, and I was just like, Jesus, I wouldn't know where to start. Oh, but that's that's why we should do it. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, for our April topic, it will be... Give me some sugar, baby. Evil Dead. <laughs> Here we go. I'm excited. I think it'll be great. <laughs> okay. Well, our work's cut out for us. Pugs, cat, kind of thing. I uh, hopefully we'll have something substantial to share about this in the future. But a, um, a short film that I did has been submitted to some festivals recently. It's it's a horror film. That's why it's pertinent. But. I'm excited to see what it, I'm super proud of it. And as soon as I can, if you're working the festival it. circuit, it's yeah. called, it's called three days left. All right. And it's really good. I'm really proud of it actually. And folks, if you want to send us a message, you can do so at a uh, boys and ghouls at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just uh, go ahead and like us on Facebook if you haven't. And uh, you can follow us on Instagram or Pinterest or Tumblr. If you like uh, pictures from horror movies, Twitter too, or on Twitter. Yeah. We're out there lurking on the internet. Find us before we find you. In the darkest corners. Actually, not in the darkest corners of the internet. I've been there, and it's not fun. (laughs) In the the most well-traveled, well-trodden areas of the internet. Well-lit and not nightmare-inducing at all. If you just heard of the internet today, you can still find us. Yeah. All right. So, Kat, as always... Beware the moon. Yeah. Okay.